You're listening to Thaisi Women Diaspora, Episode 12. For 30 years, Saki has worked to end domestic violence against South Asian women. For urgent support, call their helpline at 212-868-6741 or visit them at sakhi.org. Welcome, listeners, to Desi Women Diaspora, a podcast about South Asian women who grew up around the world. I'm your host, Mala Kumar. This is part two of a special episode with Isra Nazir about mental health issues affecting South Asians in the era of COVID-19. Isra is a therapist by training and a mental health advocate who has worked extensively with South and East Asian communities. At the end of this episode, we'll provide links to mental health resources Isra recommends. And now for part two. Welcome back, Isra. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you about mental health in the age of uh, COVID-19. Hi, Mala. Yes, I'm actually very excited to be back here uh, and talking about this issue that is going to be very, very salient and and important for us to kind of talk about, not just in the South Asian community, but like broader communities at large. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much again for being here. Um, so I guess let's start with the broad question. So what what is the mental health landscape, so to speak, in the age of COVID? What are some of the things that people in the New York City area and beyond are probably experiencing right now? Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of as we've progressed through this lockdown, it's been different waves of emotions. Uh, but I would say like the easiest ones to identify that people are experiencing right now is just a lot of fear and anxiety, which is specifically related to contracting the illness, their loved ones contracting the illness. Um, and then there's a lot of fear about the unknown, how things are going to play out, you know, loss of job and job security. So all of those like very important life domains like health and employment are kind of on shaky ground right now. So people are experiencing a lot of fear, anxiety, and sadness. Um, but on the flip side, one of the things that's not really being talked about a whole lot, but a lot of people are experiencing it, is that people are actually experiencing a lot of grief and loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say grief, I don't mean directly because of uh, like a COVID-related death, but like a, the grie- grieving a lifestyle that no longer is. Uh, like grieving the lack of being able to go out and see your loved ones to celebrate, um, you know, holidays or birthdays. And, you know, in the beginning, people were kind of like excited at this novel idea of like Zoom meetings for birthdays and hangouts and all of that. But two months later, it ca- it's carrying like this like emotional weight. You know, um, weddings have been canceled, baby showers have been canceled. And in the grand scheme of things, the the most instinctive response to a statement like that is, well, how can you even think about a baby shower or a wedding when the whole world is falling apart, right? Uh, but the reality is these small losses of rituals and these losses of normalcy carry a lot of emotional weight in individuals. So we are experiencing like two layers of trauma. One is at mm-hmm. the systemic level, right, where we see the gaps of our, our, our governments. We see, like, these mass numbers of deaths in New York in April. Um, and then underneath that is this individual trauma of 
grief and loss and anxiety and sadness and anger. And so there's just, just like this mishmash of emotions that has put everybody in survival mode. Yeah. And I'm sure and that's I've, even more prominent for South Asians and really all immigrants who just leave their life behind in one country. And then everything that they have in this country is centered around the community and being able to uh-huh. physically participate in language groups or religious groups. So um, have you seen that specifically with South Asians? Has there been like an outpouring of this grief when it comes to the social distancing away from the community that makes America home? Yeah, I mean, for one thing, this might be like kind of reminiscent of previous experiences many immigrants have fled from their home country, mm-hmm. right? Like food shortages, curfews, like all those things that they thought they were leaving behind when they came here and took a huge risk of leaving and moving their whole lives. Yeah. Uh, so this is like reminiscent. It can possibly even be triggering for individuals. Uh, so for example, like this is just a personal example. So my parents were part of the 1971-72 Bangladesh-Pakistan partition. Mm-hmm. Um, and they yesterday just were sharing how reminiscent it kind of was outside of like the safety issue, like the fact that you had to stock up food and stay at home. And, you know, so it was like suddenly taking them back 30 years. Um, but in, in here, I think uh, it has actually has a two, like a twofold impact. One is this loss of community that immigrants rely on heavily, right? Mm-hmm. Like for support, for grocery shopping, for childcare, for so many things. Um, but on the flip side, it is all the immigrants and these minority communities that belong to essential worker. Yeah. Right. So they are the, the Grubhub folks, the Uber drivers, the grocery store clerks, like the folks who are still going out every single day in the face of this crisis. Right. Mm-hmm. Are also those communities. And so you have this like double layer of anxiety that they're having because these families are also families that cannot afford to socially distance from each other. So you have mm-hmm. like a parent who goes out to the grocery store because that's where they work and that's where they get their income. And the other parent is going out because they drive an Uber and both of those parents are coming back home and they might have an older family member because South Asians live in with, with an intergenerational families, right? Mm-hmm. So the structure of a lot of immigrant community members here in New York is definitely struggling with, with this. I would say, um, and they're yeah. kind of like forced to the forefront of this, um, which is why a couple of really cool mutual aid organizations have popped up, like Grassroots. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a pretty big one in the Bronx uh, within the Bangladeshi community. And so you see immigrants kind of fall back on their, um, on their communities, right? Um, but I think like an added layer for mental health with all of this is that South Asian culture predominantly will not talk about mental health as an issue, yeah. Yeah. right? They think of mental illness and mental illness is like a disease, right? It's a mm. medical issue. Um, you, you go to a doctor for it, you get treatment for it. There's medications for it. Right. Mm-hmm. And they think either you're okay or you have a mental illness. But the reality is that everybody has mental health the way we have physical health. Right. Mm-hmm. And the way we maintain our physical health outside of an illness, so we exercise, we eat well, all of that stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. It's the same for your mental health. Right. Like you need to manage your mental health and South Asians. And again, I'm broadly speaking, right, like just from a cultural perspective, don't really have the concept of, of that. There is a lot of taboo even talking around 
small things like feeling overwhelmed and stressed and anxious, not clinically anxious, but just anxious because of the issue. Yeah. So there's these three things that will start to intersect now, right? So it's like the mm-hmm. pressure of being quiet and the shame for feeling a certain way. And then the pressure of having to go out and work in this time. And then the pressure of feeling just general COVID anxiety. Yeah, that's re- I mean, it's really interesting that you say all that because, you know, obviously there's, I think one of the issues that's coming out with COVID-19 and the coronavirus is extreme income inequality throughout the United mm-hmm. States. And, you know, that's true of the South Asian community as well. So you spoke about, you know, any South Asian really who's just immigrated here who may not mm-hmm. be a skilled worker. And then, of course, there's the other spectrum where people who are fortunate enough to come here as MDs, as doctors, as engineers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think one of the interesting things that I've seen with the medical-based community of South Asians in the States is that for the first time, my brother and I were joking about this, but it's, it's not really a joke. It's that for the first time, being a doctor is not a guaranteed income in America because elective yeah. surgeries are now not going forward. A lot of hospitals are running at billions of dollars of losses. And then at the same time, Doctors who are even remotely qualified have to deal with uh, or have to treat COVID-19 patients. Mm-hmm. And so they're not even doing the discipline that they were trained to do. And so yeah. we, we were joking because both of us work at a big tech company. He's at Apple and I'm at a company called GitHub, which is owned by Microsoft. And we yeah. feel like we have more secure jobs. Than yeah. We're trained to be doctors, you know, so all of that, all of that we heard growing up, I think a lot of students and a lot of young people and even young adults who have recently entered the workforce are now grappling with this idea that my, the advice that my parents gave me may not actually yeah. be true. And so they're dealing with this idea of financial hardship or economic mm-hmm. fluctuation for the first time ever. So yeah. what, would you, what would you say to South Asians who maybe haven't had the resilience built up in them because they had a life plan and they knew it was going to work and now all of a sudden it's not? Yeah, I, I mean, I think you bring up a really interesting point and I'll just add one thing to that before answering your question. Mm-hmm. is layered on top of this like sudden change in like shift in paradigm about like your life as a doctor right mm-hmm. um, and this loss of guaranteed income is this increased spike in ptsd in frontline workers the yeah. doctors who are being recruited third year students or fourth year students who are being pushed through to graduation especially i just remember in april there was such a shortage right so people were just being pulled from everywhere yeah um that is going to have a huge mental health impact on frontline workers right mm-hmm. and so you and, and so many south asian folks are doctors right. and so we're going to see a huge spike in like ptsd acute ptsd symptoms and in, in frontline workers and if you're a south asian even if you're a doctor right and you have awareness of mental health um your cultural like weight still intersects with that and so mm-hmm. So asking for help and the stigma around asking for help or recognizing it is going to become a challenge um, and families might start seeing differences in the behavior of, of that person. And, you know, our family structures don't really allow a lot of conversation around mental health. And so that's going to be another issue that's kind of brewing right now around workers. But in talking about how do you cope with uh, change, that that's such a big question, but you know, if you want to just distill it and and to start at the first step, um, I would suggest you know is to take stock of all of the things in their life um, and really just make an inventory of the things that they do have control over because mm-hmm. this last like this loss of a sense of control is the most overwhelming thing. 
Yeah. Um, and I can tell you, like, even as a mental health worker, like, having been a clinician for so many years, the first three weeks of this were, like, so challenging for me. Mm-hmm. And I just found myself, like, going back to everything I knew about managing change, about uh, managing frustration. Um, and I had to, like, reapply all of these things to myself. And one of the first things I did is, like, you have to, you have to really take a stock at your life and see what are the things that you do have control over. And that will give you a basis to feel a little grounded. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you start planning around what your next steps are. Um, and the first thing you want to do is you want to build your emotional resilience. And your emotional resilience is not going to solve the problem, right? It's just going to make you more skilled at managing the stress that comes from the problem. Mm-hmm. So any, any kind of mental health exercise that you do is not going to give you the solution to what you should do now that there's a loss of income. What it's going to do is it's going to make you like hardy. It's going to make you adaptable. It's going to make you just like better able to manage stress. Um, so I think for sure, one of the first things that people should strive to do right now, and I, I've been encouraging everybody in my family, in my like close circle, even myself, um, is to really recognize the different emotions that are coming up. Mm-hmm. To really reckon, to take time out of your day to take time out of your week to really reflect on the different emotions that are coming up um, and, and really think about, get curious about why you're feeling this way. Um, so, I mean, I know a lot of people are just in survival mode so they just think that they're stressed. But if you really drill down and you start to become curious about your internal experiences, you might see that your stress is related to fear or you might see that your stress is related to feeling betrayed by the system that you believed in, right? Mm -hmm. And those two things are very different and will require different strategies to get over or process. Mm -hmm. So really understanding your own emotional experience will, is, is going to help build resilience. How would you recommend somebody go, go through that exercise for the first time, taking stock of emotional stress and then understanding the triggers and how to get the coping mechanisms that they need? Yeah. Um, okay. So this is something that I've been doing quite a bit right now um, is you have to essentially check in with yourself the way you check in with a friend. So you have mm-hmm. to like really dedicate time to say, okay, you know what? I'm going to, well, okay. There's two ways, right? One is if a difficult emotion comes up, if you feel like, okay, something is happening, that's like you're sitting at home and you suddenly feel overwhelmed right? And you start to feel anxious and agitated. At that moment, instead of distracting yourself immediately, um, you want to like maybe set a timer for five minutes and set an intention that, okay, I'm going to be curious about what's happening right now. So notice the feeling and then set a timer and set an intention that I'm going to explore this for five minutes, so five mm-hmm. minutes only. Right. And then really try to distill the experience instead of saying, hey, I'm stressed, really get curious and be like, like, what is it that I'm actually feeling? Because labeling the emotional experience is very, very helpful in making you feel like you have more control because stress is a very nebulous. It's very broad. It's very vague. So Mm -hmm. we sometimes feel overwhelmed by our own stress because we don't know why we're stressed. We, we think we're stressed for like 17 different reasons, right? So mm. really try to label, like I am feeling X. Really try to label it. 
and then move on to kind of using self-talk to navigate through this feeling. And one of the easiest way to do that is to pretend like you're talking to a friend. So let's say the example is I am feeling afraid right now. That's why I started feeling agitated. And if your friend said that to you, if your friend said, hey, I'm feeling afraid right now, what is the first thing that you would ask them? You would say, what's going on? Like, why are you feeling afraid? And you can do this exercise as, like written down uh, with, with these prompts, uh, but over time it kind of just becomes like a mental, a mental process. Um, so you wanna get curious about your emotional experience. You wanna say, okay, why are you feeling afraid? Why did you start feeling this right now? That's a really important thing in building emotional awareness is what happened in my environment right now that triggered this. Mm -hmm. Think about everything you did. Was it something you saw on TV? Was it something you heard? Did you have a thought? Did you suddenly think about your parents? Did you think about your friends? Like what happened immediately prior to this feeling coming up? And, and you know, this is challenging because you're sitting with yourself essentially, right? Mm -hmm. um, so you might, if you've never done it, you might not be able to do it the first time and that's fine. If you can just get through the first two, that's fine, right? Um, so you wanna, you wanna sell, use self-talk to kind of navigate through this experience and then also, also like validate why it happened. So you wanna fill in two prompts. I feel this because blank, like I feel afraid because I just saw the news it triggered me. So many people are like losing their jobs. I'm afraid. And then follow that up with giving yourself reasons why it's okay to feel afraid. Because sometimes we like really are quick to dismiss and minimize our own emotional experiences. And we think that the solution is, oh, don't be afraid. Everything's going to be fine. Right. And then you completely close that emotional experience inside your body. So what you want is you want to give yourself valid reasons. So you feel that your emotions are not just coming out of nowhere and you're not being oversensitive or anything like that. You want to give yourself a reason. And the reason can be anything. So you feel out it's okay to feel afraid right now because like so many people are losing their jobs, like people got laid off at my workplace or, or whatever, right? Like give yourself a couple of reasons. And then this is like something that is really, really helpful. So I definitely encourage people to do the third one, which is, Remind yourself that emotions are temporary. Our emotions are like weather. They kind of circle back and forth. And our minds are designed to constantly be in a state of self-preservation. And so when you're in survival mode, your mind tricks you into believing that the negative states are permanent because your mind wants to be ready, right? Like it's, it's in mm -hmm. fight or flight. It wants to be ready. It wants to be prepared. So your mind tricks you into thinking that this state of like hyper arousal is going to last and that's just not true right like you're not going to be angry 24 hours you're not going to be afraid 24 hours seven days a week so yeah. you want to remind you want to gently remind yourself you want to say you can write this down you can say an affirmation you can say you know emotions are not permanent and then anchor yourself to a very near future event that you have where you know you're not going to feel afraid so maybe you have um, like a date night planned on Zoom. Maybe you have a, like, a, like a group call. Maybe you're trying out a new recipe and you've prepped the ingredients for it. Maybe you're taking a workout class. Like, what, like anchor yourself to a very concrete near future experience where you know you're not going to feel this emotion. And that really brings your mind back. That really reigns in this, this sense of impending like doom that your mind feels like it needs to constantly be ready for right now.
And that prompt is very simple, right? Like fear is what I'm feeling right now, or I'm feeling afraid right now. But later on, when I do like a Zumba class, I'm not going to feel afraid. So just like reminding yourself that there's still space to feel other things. And usually it's around this time that the timer goes off, especially if you've only set five minutes. Um, and so you very intentionally want to say to yourself, I recognize this. I recognize this emotion, right? Mm-hmm. And then you say, I'm going to move on from it right now, for now. I can come yeah. back to it later, but for now, I'm going to move on from it. Um, and then I always suggest that people kind of engage in a very quick activity that gives them some kind of pause, something that they can get lost in, just after this to close out this emotional experience. Um, so something very simple as doing a crossword puzzle, like a short one, uh, maybe doing a quick breathing exercise, uh, something that has like a sense of pause in it so you can like close out this experience. So mm-hmm. I usually go on the New York Times and they have a tiles, like a mini game. And it only takes like three minutes to complete, but it's like a puzzle. So mm-hmm. it just kind of like, you know, lets you decompress everything that you experienced in the last five minutes. And then you're better able to move on from that emotional experience. And it's really setting the expectation that your emotions are not meant to go away. You're going to feel fear again. You're going to feel anxiety again. Like you're not meant to go away. You're just, you're meant to just become better and better and better at managing it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. No, it's, um, it's interesting. You're saying all this stuff because I feel like unconsciously <laughs> I've been doing a lot of these things and I'm, I'm glad yeah. that my, my mind has just graduated, yeah. gravitated to that. Yeah. yeah. Like I am, I'm, I'm a total gym rat. So when the gyms mm. closed down, I was like, shit, <laughs> this is like, yeah. that is my anchor point because that's what I, where mm. I go to relieve all kinds of stress, even though yeah. going to the gym being a woman is stressful sometimes with, you know, yeah. bros telling you how to do something you've been doing for 20 years anyway. Yeah. Um, but as soon as the gyms closed down, I freaked out and I, I bought a cheap um, spin bike on Amazon and that was yeah. saving grace. So now I have good exercise. And then after like 10 years of my parents telling me I need to be doing this every day, I'm finally meditating. <laughs> like someone oh, can say, yeah. Like, yeah. So I guess, yeah, it's, it's, it's good for you to, yeah, it's good for you to give these concrete examples because I think I, I have a tendency personally to write a lot of these things off as kind of stupid, like whatever. And my work is going like, I'm crazy busy at work and I'm trying to, you know, pay attention to my partner and whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's good to hear that it's really important to take at least a few minutes every day for yourself, which is, I guess, obvious in some ways, but then in other ways it's not because, you know, it's hard to find that structure when you're kind of confined to one physical space. I mean, it is that, and it's also really hard for some people to actually do it because they do feel a lot of guilt, especially parents right now who are quarantined with their kids. They will, they do feel a lot of guilt for even taking five minutes out of their day just to, just to be with themselves. Right. Yeah. Um, But it is, it is super, super important. Uh, Even if you don't do this exercise of like allowing emotion, like becoming curious about your emotional experience, Mm -hmm. um, even if it's just literally sitting down, right. And that's it it's really, really important to just even have five to 10 minutes uh, just to yourself. And what that means is like, not to yourself on Instagram and responding to social obligation and messages. Like, because when you do that, you're still not sitting with yourself, right? Yeah. Um, When you're sitting in front of the TV, you're still not sitting with yourself. Like, it's really prioritizing sitting with yourself. It's having a moment of peace just with yourself. Um, and so, I mean, like a lot of different emotional experiences are coming up for people right now, right? Like being at home is allowing people to like really reflect on so many things and how they want to kind of go back. So I think like really putting pen to paper and 
sorting through your thoughts is going to help give you a place to start. So let's mm. say you're somebody who is stressed about like, you know, loss of income or guaranteed income as a doctor, as we were talking about earlier, if you do this exercise, it kind of clears your space. It gives you an understanding of yourself. And so when you start to strategize your tactical next steps about your career, you're not going from a place of being overwhelmed and confused about yourself. You're going from a place of like, I understand why I'm feeling this way. Saki exists to end domestic and sexual violence against South Asian women. Although domestic violence has long been a silent subject in the community, two in five South Asian immigrant women in the U.S. are survivors. In its 30 years, Saki has united survivors, communities, and institutions to create powerful and sustainable change. Saki offers a range of services for the community. For urgent support, call their helpline at 212-868-6741, and to learn more, visit their website at sakhi.org, or follow them on Twitter at sakhinyc. So on, on that note, one, one of the points that you actually mentioned, and I think it's, mm-hmm. it's really important, is kind of this intersectional lens, which I think is what Desi, Desi Women Diaspora is all about. Um, mm-hmm. I, I wanted to specifically ask you, so there's a lot of LGBTQ youth who are now mm-hmm. back at home. They thought, you mm-hmm. know, I can empathize with this 100% that they thought, oh, I'm finally at university, or maybe I'm at a boarding school for high school, or I just have some kind of distance away from my family who is not necessarily accepting of the fact that I am LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. So do you have any specific advice for the people who are facing um, challenges with being LGBTQ or really any intersectional lens that they don't necessarily find safe to disclose or to discuss in their family situation? Yeah, I mean, the, the LGBTQ youth having to stay with family who is not that accepting of their identity, maybe don't even know, that, that is like definitely a huge thing that is causing a lot of anxiety right now and other intersections especially that related to like south asian people um is the gender and cultural expectations so a lot of youth Mm -hmm. uh, young adults um you know who moved out maybe don't practice religion the same way anymore maybe uh you know are not as aligned with the gender expectations are now living with their families again and having to really mold themselves and cause it's causing a lot of distress so for for starters like i have huge respect for individuals who are going through through this time right like now because Mm -hmm. it is very very challenging i personally know a couple of people so this is not necessarily the most pc thing but we're all trying to survive right now so you do what you you do what you have to right to to preserve your emotional safety and your physical safety and your physical safety. Yeah. So, um, you, I mean, I would definitely say folks who are in these situations is, you know, get creative with how you're able to set your boundaries because, you know, as we've talked about before, like, I think you and I talked about this last time, you're not really able to like ask for boundaries in a Brown family, right? (laughs) Most Brown families are not really able to tolerate that. Um, Mm-hmm. And it's just not part of the culture, right? They have very fluid boundaries. And that's a whole different conversation. So don't feel like you need to carry the baton of truth and honesty and, you know, all of that. Like, that is not your cross to bear. Um, so if you need to get creative around how you 
spend your time. And what I mean by that is, let's say if you are, you know, not able to sit with your family all the time, because let's say they're slightly homophobic, as so many brown families are without even knowing it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or if this is a point of contention for you, and you think that it's better for you to limit how much common family time you spend outside of dinner, right? Think about different ways where you can say, hey, you know, like, I'm going to be up in my room right now because I'm working on X thing, or I mm-hmm. have this thing to finish, or if you are part of, uh, like, a social support group where you're talking to your friends and, like, you, you, people give you issues for that, like, oh, you're always in your room talking to your friends, you can, you can relabel that conversation. Mm-hmm. You can say that I'm actually, like, you know, my work got extended or I'm talking to, like, X thing. Like, you can get creative right now. And that doesn't make you a coward. It doesn't make you inauthentic. I know a lot of people are struggling with this concept where they have been able to move out and live authentically. And now that they're back because of the situation, they feel like they, if they don't be their authentic selves, they're like hypocrites or cowards. And that's just not true. If you need to get creative, if you need for your own physical and emotional safety, need to kind of bend how much you express, and how you build your boundaries, like it's okay to do that. It doesn't yeah. make you like a bad person. Yeah, right? for Because sure. you're also trying to survive. So if you say, mm-hmm. I have a work call, but it's really like a friend call, that's okay, right? Yeah. If you need to just like watch a movie because you don't want to sit with your family who is homophobic, say something else. Say that you're working out. Say that you're doing something else, right? Like, and the second thing I would say is like really preserve your own routine because that's just going to give you a sense of control right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that means is if you are somebody, like you just said, like you work out and maybe your family doesn't really like support that because a lot of brown families also don't support that, right? Um, and if you, if you need to work out to ground yourself, if you have like rituals that ground you, that make you feel better, right? Um, continue to do that as much as you can. Continue your own routine. Um, and if, if, you know, if it means waking up a little earlier, maybe it means like saying, I'm going to bed early, but you're not actually going to sleep, mm-hmm. whatever it is that you need to do, like restructure it so that you're able to preserve your own routine. And that's going to continue to give you a sense of like resilience as this time goes on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And I'll just, I'll say to any LGBTQ youth or adults, whoever's listening to this podcast, uh, feel free to reach out to me personally and I'll be happy to give you some of the tips and tricks that I've learned over the years. <laughs> yeah. And how to get creative, right? Like, yeah. and there's no shame in that at all because it's, that's, this is what we're, we're all, we're all doing it in different ways. So I would suggest like really also like trying to find support in community. Uh, really reach out to folks who can validate your experience or give you support or just be a listening ear. Our communities are our strongest tool to go through this Yeah. for yeah. anyone. So, and if you're especially in this like marginalized community, you want to reach out to people. Mm-hmm. Don't isolate yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then I, I guess another intersectional lens that I think is important to highlight is what you already mentioned. It's just the gender dynamics. So obviously mm-hmm. a lot of people are now at home all the time. Um, and I've heard not just from South Asians, but from basically every single racial and religious group that yeah. gender norms are regressing because women are now not able to physically leave the workplace or leave the house to go to the workplace. So a lot of the mm-hmm. housework is falling on them. A lot of the childcare mm-hmm. is falling on them. 
Mm-hmm. Um, what it, are there any special coping mechanisms or, you know, I don't want to advise anybody in their own mm-hmm. marital, you know, situation. That's for everybody yeah. else to deal with on their own or individually. Um, but are there general coping mechanisms or things that people can do if they find themselves being suddenly thrusted back into a gender norm that they didn't necessarily sign up for or want or can you yeah. handle? Yeah, I mean, this is definitely a big issue that's coming up. It's interesting how this like pandemic has laid bare all these things that we thought we had left behind. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I mean, the first and foremost thing that I... If you can have an honest conversation, if you have that ability, like if your partner, because sometimes like, you know, um, people like don't think about what they're doing and they just kind of like fall into these roles and patterns. So if you do have a relationship with your parent or your partner where you can talk about it, then that's the first place to start, right? Mm -hmm. If you can't, which is quite unfortunately common, in that case, again, you want to get creative about how you protect your time. And if that means that you are like relabeling certain, like if you're still, if you still have a job, using mm-hmm. that to really protect your time. Again, it's, just, it's the same thing, right? You want to get creative, but that is definitely a trickier situation if you have children. Um, and so I think like just generally speaking is if you're not able to reject completely what's being asked, then make sure that you find time to yourself at least once a day where you can recharge yourself so you don't burn out. Because mm-hmm. the reality is you might not be able to change your situation. So you want to make sure that you still have your reserve. And if you can ask for small wins, then ask for those. Like if you can make sure that you have an hour a week protected for you to like hang out with your friends on a Zoom call and not worry about the kids or the dinner or all of that, if you can get that one thing a week, make sure you protect it with your mm-hmm. life. If yeah. you can find, like, if you take like a daily shower, extend it by 10 minutes, sit in the, and it's not the best place to be, but sit in the bathroom and just hang out on your phone, decompress, whatever it is. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are somebody who is from like a religious background and, and let's say you go upstairs to pray, extend that time a little bit lock the door, say you're praying, do the prayer if that's what you do. And then like maybe spend 10 more minutes just reading a book, Mm -hmm. right? Like find these ways to take back time so you can feel recharged, even though you might not be able to change the situation and what's being expected from you. Israel, thanks so much for your time and for your knowledge on mental health issues affecting South Asian communities in this turbulent time. To our listeners, Israel has recommended a few mental health resources, which I'll read out now and which we've listed in this episode description at soundcloud.com backslash they see women diaspora. To find the sitting with emotions exercise Israel spoke about in today's episode, go to israelnazir.com backslash articles backslash feel it all. That's I-S-R-A-A-N-A-S-I-R.com backslash articles backslash feel it all for therapy and counseling support you can go to talkspace.com and betterhelp.com for those in the new york city area you can go to nycwell.cityofnewyork.us which has a great resource library of apps and services for mental health support and finally to our listeners who are lgbtq and in need of support you can reach out directly to me at authormala at gmail.com. 
That's A-U-T-H-O-R-M-A-L-A at gmail.com. To all of our listeners, to the best of your ability, we hope you stay safe and take care. This episode of Thaisi Women Diaspora was written, produced, and recorded by Mala Kumar, with editing by Kiran Kumar. Our music was written and recorded by Joseph McDade. Find him on Patreon at patreon.com slash josephmcdade. And of course, special thanks to our interview guest, Isra Nazir.